Blog Talk Radio. It's Pundit's Pub from New York City and Middle America. I'm Stephen Love with our mascot, Trump of the Dog. She's sleeping right now. And I'm pleased to announce that Pundit's Pub, aside from being broadcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network, is now available on the TuneIn and Stitcher podcast networks. And will also be distributed very soon on iTunes. So please... Join us on your favorite network, and don't forget to like the Pundits Pub Facebook page, and start following us on Twitter, at Pundits Pub. Today, more depredations of the Trump madministration. ProPublica reports that El Jefe Naranjado is appointing Sam Clovis to lead the research section at the United States Department of Agriculture. The Farm Bill of 2008 requires that the chief of the research section be the department's chief scientist and be chosen from among distinguished scientists with specialized or significant experience in agricultural research, education, and economics. The problem is good old Sam has no such credentials. He is a Trump supporter who ran unsuccessfully for Senate from Iowa in 2014. He's a climate skeptic, and he was host of a conservative talk radio show. He's already been lurking as senior White House advisor at this very important department. Following the Russian organizational model, Clovis is the political officer embedded in the system. Presumably, he's there to make sure Sonny Perdue does the right thing. But he is no scientist. But why follow the law? Who needs the law? Nothing matters in this funhouse version of the executive branch. Speaking of agriculture, what a great area to see corporate totalitarianism in action. There's a great and disturbing documentary called Food, Inc. from 2008, and you can stream it on Netflix. Some of it is quite difficult to watch as we are forced to consider where our food comes from and how it is processed. Here we are in an era of man where the way we eat has changed more in the past 60 years than in the 10,000 years prior. Despite rosy adverts and branding messages pushing a pastoral feel-good image of family farms the fact is that farms have become factories where animals and workers 
are abused endlessly in a mad process that feeds a voracious society founded on fossil fuels. Food touches almost every issue we can think of. Climate, water, war, labor relations, and more. This is Pundit's Pub number four. Starving for change towards a new food paradigm. Our special guest is Bonnie Blodgett. Bonnie is an op-ed writer for the Minneapolis Star Tribune and is one of America's foremost writers on gardening. She is the author of Remembering Smell, a memoir of losing and discovering the primal sense. Publishers Weekly called Remembering Smell a thoughtful and richly nuanced study that is tenaciously researched. Welcome to Pundit's Pub, Bonnie. Hi. Bonnie, have we perverted our relationship to food? We've perverted our relationship to nature. Um, uh, This is... Uh, you, you really, I, congratulations on summarizing the situation very well. <laughs> uh, Thank you. So out here in the heartland where I live, we're kind of up close and personal with agriculture, and it's not a pretty, it's not a pretty sight. And I guess I wish people in the coasts were more interested in this topic. But out of sight, out of mind, you know. It's, Somebody, it's it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand where food comes from when you don't live around the the factory that's producing. Well, it. for us, it, it comes from uh, the the kitchen uh, at um, the four star restaurant. Oh, really? <laughs> for all of you? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean. The way people eat is it's so bifurcated. The people that go to the four-star restaurant these days are eating organic. They may not even know it, but, I mean, no self-respecting chef in New York City is going to be serving anything but, but the best. And the best is the freshest, and the freshest is the healthiest, and the healthiest is the most expensive. But 90% of the people who live on the coast aren't rich enough for that diet and so they right. get they get the other one. Well, we go we go to the the supermarket and um the documentary I mentioned it, it, uh mentions how uh there are 46,000 products in the average supermarket. Mm-hmm. And there exactly. are no more there are no more seasons. So right. I can get plums 365 days a year. Can you help us trace how the current corporate model of food production, what what are the effects? Well, it's really interesting that you mentioned getting plums uh, all year round. This is the sort of uh, fact that the uh, big ag, as we call it, big agriculture, uh, likes to trumpet. I mean, do you want to go back to a time when you couldn't get a strawberry in the middle of January? These are sort of false arguments that, like feeding the world, you know, they're false argument. Uh, 
that make people stop and say, oh, wow, I guess I just don't appreciate how far we've come. Um, but really, we don't need to have plums all year round, do we, uh, to be healthy? And no, and I got, yeah, and I got to tell you, I um, in uh, I grew up in in Connecticut, in New England, and um, every summer, and it was always August, we would get local plums. We would get, yep. and I they're delicious. Love them. It was such them. a treat, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then the various varieties, I, I become kind of a plum, plum sort of, I, I wouldn't say aficionado, but I, I go to the Union Square Farmers Market in August and I, I'm like a kid in a candy store. And yeah. last year we we didn't have plums. We, 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 we didn't have the wonderful plums we had the year before because it, um because we had an early spring and then it, it froze again, and there you go. I was told by one of the farmers that the the plums uh, tree started to bud and then the buds froze and then we didn't have plums. Right, and so why did that happen? Climate change. Why did that happen? I wonder. Yeah. Climate change. But isn't but why why shouldn't we expect to have plums all year round, Bonnie? Okay, so um, because if we have plums all year round, you're going to have climate change. So you can either have plums all year round uh, for only a few people can afford them, and they're not really very good unless, you know, they're very ripe and in season and they've been delivered, you know, I mean, they're locally grown. You know, most fruits don't travel very well, uh, and they're bred to have characteristics that allow them to travel well. You know, you've heard about the tomato. Uh, why does the tomato in the grocery store in January have no taste? Because it is bred to travel well, so it has tough skins. Um, you know, all the taste is sacrificed. So if, you don't, so if you want to eat things out of season for your region, you're, you know, you're not going to have all that. It's not all that great. It's not that healthy either. The nutrition value is lost. But if you want to have that, and if you decide that that's your priority, well, then you have to also understand that the way that these, the the way that the system works, which requires incredibly uh, fossil fuel intensive production and transportation, you're going to be promoting climate change. And this is just one of so many examples of the kind of trade-off that Americans don't seem to understand they're making. So do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, the connection between the early spring and then the quick freeze and then no more plums. Right. And that wouldn't have happened in the old weather that we used to have, which was much more reliable, much more consistent. Now, right. again, you know, the the industry will will say, well, isn't it great that we've got a longer growing season? This is going to be wonderful. But our weather isn't isn't getting warmer uh, in every part of the world necessarily as much as it's getting not only warmer, but much more unstable, much more unpredictable. So we're going to see swings like today it's 50 degrees, above zero and tomorrow it's 20 below you know that's the kind of thing we get in minnesota uh you're going to get variations on the theme of that kind of unpredictability which is the worst thing for plants 
you know, here in in what used to be Zone Four, now Zone Zone Five. These are the USDA climate zones. Uh, we we used to not be able to grow plants that were hardy only to Zone Five, and at first everybody thought, "Oh, how fun! Now we can." The problem is, we're losing more plants now than we used to because of the instability of the climate. Because we don't, we don't, because of what happened to those plums, because of these right. fluctuations. And the worst and most serious kind of fluctuation for us is involves water. You know, we have these torrential downpours. I don't know if you have these too. You have probably something like this. But our weather is so much more extreme. So it doesn't rain. It pours. And when it pours, the water runs off the land. It doesn't have a chance to absorb. And the part of the reason for that is that our agriculture system has turned soil into dirt. Uh, we don't build soil anymore. We use it as if it were just like a growing medium, but it has no life in it. So, we And we just add on these chemicals on top to grow the plants, but the soil itself is dead. Right. For years now, I've, I've been reading about the, you know, globally the topsoil and how it's just, just disappearing. Yeah. And so, so in the past several decades, the the advances in in chemistry have. Uh, so, so how, how long do you think that can last? I, I think it's already over. I, I think that we are an, at a tipping point where things are going to start to really collapse. Because, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen studies of the heartland soil um, that is so badly eroded that, that one, you know, high winds, tornadoes, um, just strip. The, the dirt isn't, dirt isn't held in place the way, you remember the Dust Bowl? <laughs> yeah. Um, and there was just, it was just like, like sandstorms. I mean, this was a blip. This didn't, wasn't caused by climate change. But um, if the soil isn't anchored because it's a living organism, it just blows away. Right. And that's happening. Um, it's also, the worst thing is that it's, it's eroding. It's, you know, it's, it's, washing off into the rivers, along with the dirt, the chemicals wash off, and the chemicals create algae that's created the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. And many, the Mississippi River near where I live is filling up, and there's a part of it that is going to be blocked within a few decades, completely. You know, it, it, there's there's just so much bad stuff happening. I think people are overwhelmed, and they don't want to hear about it. It's just too much. So, what the tipping? What is going to be the thing? What's going to be? What is going? What is going to be the crisis? Is it going to be avian flu? Is it going to be antibiotics not working anymore in a massive scale? Is it going to be? What is it going to be? We don't know. Is it the subways in New York are going to be flooded? Is it, you know, is it is it Florida is going to be? There's so many things 
that are right we're right on the edge of right it's hard to know which thing is going to hit first well the pentagon is already modeling uh you know war games because of this and in the sure. decades yeah. that face us we're going to be um looking at drought and uh, yeah. famine and and yeah it, yeah it, yeah and i think it's not the a thing, good outlook the thing that bothers me the most is that i don't think I, th- I, I think that there's a, a critical mass of people in this world who think that's okay, you know, who value human life in such a way that they really are very cynical and think, well, so what if two-thirds of the population is wiped out? Right. And, and, and you know what? They're right. They're right. And that, that's what scares me the most, is that we've become so callous that all the things that we, as Americans, hold sacred. Well, you know, you think about America, you know, you've only been around 250 years or something. I mean, for most of history, these things have not been held sacred. Human life has not been held sacred. Nothing, you know, it's survival that's held sacred. Right. So it's entirely possible that the people who are now consolidating their power for the purpose of surviving themselves and their under and they understand just as the pentagon does what that entails all are right let's win. Open, yeah let's open this up um we're bringing in uh, John Rurley out there with you in St. Paul, Minnesota, um, John is a, a playwright. Uh, his uh, he's, he's also an actor, and he's actually uh, had the lead in a, in a film called Perfect Strangers, directed by the legendary Larry Cohen. Uh, look him up on the IMDb. John, welcome to Pundit's Pub. Hey, thank you again. Steve, interesting subject tonight. We Love also it. have uh, our contributing editor, Falcon, in Greens- Greensboro, North Carolina. Good evening, Falcon. Good evening, Steve. What is that, Falcon? What is the um, uh, in North Carolina? You live in North Carolina. What what is the uh, main crop of or or agricultural? Uh, product of North Carolina. Do you, do you know? In many respects, in rural areas of North Carolina, it's still cotton and tobacco. Um, however, rather than the threat of our land blowing away, we're facing the threat of our land being poisoned because this is perhaps the largest mm, producer of pork and chicken in the United States, (laughs) and the groundwater is systematically being polluted by pork and chicken waste. Right. Bonnie, out there in Minnesota, what's the the major product, uh, 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 plant product of Minnesota? Well, the major, uh, the monoculture for the entire heartland is corn and soybeans. Um, mm-hmm. But but uh, 
it, it, Falcon is right. I mean, the, really, the most immediate atrocity. Sorry to sound so dramatic, but is the factory farming of animals. And North Carolina is a hair ahead of us. Iowa, uh, Minnesota has the is the number one in turkeys. Um, we hosted a pretty serious uh, avian flu. And, and Falcon, you, had, you you experienced that too in North Carolina, right? The wipeout of all of your turkeys and chickens last year? Um, somewhat, but to a lesser extent because we're a little bit more geographically isolated from other producers. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Tennessee has had this spring uh, a pretty serious virus um, and I thought it was funny they required any organic uh, poultry operations to take their chickens um, out of you know out of the outside and confine them. Just, I mean, it's such an ir- irony, but um, because the ch- but the chickens that were raised outside in Minnesota and Iowa uh, didn't get sick. But all the confined animals, I mean, it was just millions and millions of birds died. Mm-hmm. And this this virus could very easily, you know, leap to humans and we could have a pandemic. I mean, that's just one of so many things that could become pretty intensely serious. John, but yeah, when the land the... and the water are, are being poisoned. That's correct. John, when was the last time you ate at Kentucky Fried Chicken? Um, boy, I can't even remember. I I, I have no idea. Um, that's good. I I generally <laughs> I generally don't. Yeah, that's good that I don't remember. Uh, and I I, I in fact it's been on my uh, to do list, believe it or not. Uh, but but something really? for Just some reason. I, Kentucky yeah, chicken. Yeah, yeah. It's more of a craving than anything else that never gets yeah. satisfied. So. Um, <laughs> But but <clears throat> I'm I'm since I'm ignorant basically on this subject, um, I'm more interested. I mean, the, my my uh, creative mind goes to the like a future solution of Are we going to live in a world full of greenhouses um, to to produce our food, or is there a a solution? Um, that's immediately tied to the ground, Bonnie. I mean, is there anything um, that could be done to... Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, okay. the thing that For people example, always assume is that if, you know, if we if we go organic, that means that we're going to go back to 1900. And the fact is that there is so much technological innovation going on in the way that plants should be grown um, that we could easily... Uh, convert to an all-organic local food system worldwide easily. The only thing that's preventing it is power and money. Bonnie, um, what do you mean? What do you mean by organic? Isn't it all organic? What do you mean by organic? Well, I mean organic is just a word that you know means a lot if you're in the certified organic world and you know the catalog of of regulations that you have to meet in order to be an organic. Uh, so farmers, is that you're not right? using pesticides or, or what? Yeah, right, right. Not using certain types of pesticides, 
Um, and, yeah, I mean, using putting putting animals back on the land is is a really good example of a of a it it's about it's about okay if you have let's talk science okay geneticists are big on gmos let's innovate our way to a better future let's come up with new plants that can do miraculous things and then there are the ecologists and the ecologists are science scientists too but they're not treated by the chemists and the geneticists who work for Monsanto as if they were. Ecologists understand biology. And biology is the study of ecosystems. And ecosystems are how life works. You can't get around it. You have to respect the balance, it's homeostasis is the word in biology. You learn it in 10th in grade in biology class, balance. You have to have it. And we're throwing everything out of balance in a way that is, you know, it's a slippery slope um, to some, well, disastrous consequences. Well, and you mentioned before that whoever, the 1%, whatever we want to call them, um, they, they they think they're going to be immune to the coming conflagration. Yep. Um, and, you know, we you could imagine uh, scenarios for a science fiction novel where, you know, maybe right now as we speak somewhere in some laboratory, they're engineering a sort of flu virus that'll you, you know, get rid of uh, 95% of the population and and then they can um, uh, take over the world and have their own uh, set of slaves and, and live as kings and queens for I don't think they time. have to uh, develop it themselves. I don't think they want to. I don't think these people are homicidal. I just think they are very good at looking the other way and rationalizing and talking in terms of uh, innovation and miracle solutions that science will come up with. I mean, my brother works for Cargill. Cargill is an enormous grain right. trading conglomerate. Um, and his reaction to whatever I say is it's always the same I, I mean, I asked him about climate change. I said, do you think that we're going to come up with some sort of a huge, like, amazing way of producing energy? You know, it's just something we can't even – he said yes. So in other words, what he's saying is everything you're saying, Bon, is true. And he knows better than I do. I mean, he's right there in the be belly of the beast. Everything you're saying is true. So I believe in science. I believe that we're going to come up with something. So we just throw money at the problem. We'll solve it. It's not we, though. It's always they, you know, MIT or some somebody else. Cargill's not coming up with it. That, they're not investing in, the, in a solution. So who is? Nobody. You know, I mean, MIT is investing in some sort of geoengineering of the, of the universe. You know, sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We're going to colonize well, I mean, it, the solar system. Really? It, uh... The 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 motive is this mad 
profit motive. Everything it's and it, everything has to be more, 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 and growth. Yeah. And it's like it's capitalism. It's, it's, it's it, yeah. There you go. It's capitalism run amok. I mean, I don't have a problem with capitalism, but I think the idea that capitalism in and of itself is going to solve the world's problems is preposterous. Right. And even Adam Smith never suggested such a thing. Right. But people are drinking some big-time Kool-Aid right now. They just don't want to think about it. People don't want to think about how preposterous this is. Right. This premise. Falcon, you know, they got humans, Donald Trump elected. Can Falcon? Can humans get out of this fix that we're in? Not easily. We have a number of problems. Uh, the first <laughs> is that for several thousand years we've been genetically manipulating crops, not the way we can do it now at the cellular level, but certainly if you look at corn, mm-hmm. it's been going on. For several millennia, we've taken it for granted. The original genetic research was done by crossbreeding peas. Mm-hmm. The second problem we have is that we conveniently dropped white medicine into third world without anticipating or looking at the impact of white medicine on other cultures. Could not agree so, more. In Absolutely. India... Where eight children used to be born and only two would make it to adulthood. Eight are now born, seven make it to adulthood. Exactly. So I don't know, in the grand larger scheme of things, even if we significantly curtail capitalism, given the nature of where the problem is, that there is an easy solution. The second issue, um, Steve, I may have sent it to you. If not, I will. I recently read an an article from uh, the Scottish Economic Development Council which said that at its present rate, 80% of the Scots will never work again by 2030 because of intelligent systems and further automation. Right. So as long as we continue to foster the idea that capitalism exists in a state of nature, and is responsible only for making a profit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You may have read today that Ford is considering letting go 20,000 people because its shareholders are dissatisfied with the profit margin, and Ford's going to do it. So we're back to the problem of this is an inordinately complicated and complex problem, There are no real simple solutions. Um, Given what's happened in Africa, in the multiple droughts there, I don't even know if we made an effort to be organic and return them to the soil, that that the soil there is sustainable in light of current climate problems. No, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, no matter what, there's going to be a tremendous amount of suffering. Bonnie, what I mean, can we're, people do? We're already there. What can I mean? The cities—it's difficult. Although we see in urban settings, we see rooftop gardens, and and um, uh, I happen to be president of my co-op, and uh, the board is. We in recent months we've been sort of dithering between: do we do we go solar on the roof, or do we go with a with a garden, a roof garden? Um. 
but also out in rural areas and in the suburbs, what can what can we do? What can the people do to create local markets where what we eat is is produced seasonally and, and locally? I think we're already doing it. I I think uh, I think the younger generation, the millennials, get this. Um, I don't think they talk about it much because what's the point of talking to us? I mean, I don't know how old all you are, but I'm a boomer. Um, we don't get it, and they're they're doing all sorts of things now. That doesn't change the fact that I agree. I agree that we're in for it. We're in for it. Some heavy duty catastrophes and and any number of scenarios uh could play out to a you know an an end that may or may not be it may may be cartels running the world and there's a stanford biologist who refers to the rest of the species the two species he he thinks we're going to evolve and become two species humans that live a long long time and then humans who are sort of subhuman, and he refers to them as the mayflies, and they will live short, brutal lives with absolutely no self-awareness. You know, all of that stuff, you know, is very real and very um, debatable. I mean, which horror story do you want? But but my hope is... That's right out of Aldous Huxley. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my hope, such as it is, is is in is that the uh, the millennials, the people who are actually faced with uh, climate change, that they talk about it constantly, uh, they get it. Um, they're doing things. They're causing people to think about rooftop gardens and solar this and wind that. Um, that might spread and that might take root. And I mean, that's our, that's that's all I can hope for. I don't, and then, and then politics and then, you know, it would be so wonderful if, I mean, we, we elected Trump, right? I mean, that, that, that shows how desperate people are. So what if we, what if people started, making decisions politically that were really, really paradigm shifting. Like, okay, let's try it. I don't know. But then you'd have massive, you know, rationing, which I'm all for, of fossil fuels and, you know, a top-down effort to save the planet. Yes, but here's part of what you're looking at. Um, You may know Google has a program called Google Roof. (laughs) Google Roof allows people to finance solar panels to eliminate fossil fuel. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the problem. Looking at what it would take for me to do that, Mm -hmm. my payback would be over a decade, and I would have to go into debt roughly $40,000 in order to make that happen. But that's because we're not uh, pricing uh, products, according to any, you know, r- real challenges, pricing is completely skewed because things are subsidized in- incorrectly 
agriculture. But the, the cost is of solar has come down uh, considerably, and it, it continues to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But in in Georgia, my daughter's husband works for a company that calculated what it would need uh, to come off the grid um, or be self-sufficient electronically, electrically. They proceeded to install the appropriate number of panels on the roof uh-huh. and found themselves sued by Georgia Power um, so that even after Georgia Power takes back or pays based on federal law for surplus energy they generate, um, they have to pay Georgia Power $200 a month just to be on the grid. Yes, terrible. So what was the point of installing the panels on the roof because their electric bill would have been. Well, you, you know, the, these, these are political decisions and policy decisions and policies, personnel, and you, t- and, and there is a coming political reawakening in the United States. I, I saw it in Washington the other week at the climate March, and we can only hope yeah. that the millennials will, uh, because it's, it's up to them really, because we've screwed yeah, it, it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, not, and, and all around the world, not just in the U.S., obviously. You know, it's the Chinese millennials and the Japanese, you know, the African millennials. I mean, yeah. and I, I just think that what's going to happen, the only hope would be that there's such a massive dislocation because of climate-related disasters that people have to become self-sufficient. They're forced to. And that will Steve. break up the centralized global economy, which... I think should be broken up by force. Steve, do you remember? It won't be. Do you remember uh, one of the first interactions you and I had when I was your teacher? I, I that was a hundred th- years ago. Well, that's your problem, <laughs> not mine. Um, <laughs> I was in the front of the room. It was my first year teaching. Mr. Love had the audacity to raise his hand and tell me that it was my generation's fault that the world was fucked up. Now, wait a minute, aren't you in the same generation? Now, oh, it gets We're better. We're kind of baby boomers. So I said, um, "All right, let's do it this way. If you have cheated, raise your hand. If you have lied, raise your hand. If you've used alcohol when you shouldn't have, raise your hand. If you have had sexual conduct and you're Catholic and you're not married, raise your hand. And within four questions, every hand in the room was up. And then I looked at Mr. Love and I said, congratulations, you are part of the problem, not the solution. All but right, I can tell you, you know, let me tell you something. I can tell I think you, speaking <laughs> millennials, that they have far exceeded the problem quotient. Remember, I teach at a university. I deal with them every day. If yeah, you're no, I, I, I hear you. I just, I, I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm hopeful that you know, when you're, when you're face to face with a, with a crisis, you know, it's that's it. That's all I'm saying. All right. Um, you know what? This has mm-hmm. been a great chat, but we're we're out of time. It's this has gone really quickly. God, I hope um, Trump is listening. Trumba, uh, oh Trump, does he yeah, tune in? Trumba, my dog, uh, Trumba, she's listening too. Oh Trumba, and, uh, <laughs> and I doubt if Trump is listening. 
Um, but we've got uh, every week Pundits Pub and and tell your friends and and uh, share the links and we're we're developing the Pundits Pub website where we're going to be creating a community of user generated content and we're very excited about that coming down. Bonnie, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank to, you for having uh, me. It was fun. Chat with us and and uh, John as always and and Falcon mm-hmm. and. We'll we'll uh, see you all next time.